Hello, hello, and welcome to the Inglorious Pastors Podcast, where we talk about spirituality, news, and the order of the alphabet, and how it's uh, totally arbitrary. It was, uh, what? Yeah, it is. I've read that. Yeah. Huh? It's completely arbitrary, the order of the alphabet. What do you mean it's arbitrary? There's just there's no, no reason to There's it. no reason to it. My name is Michael Basinger, and <laughs> with me are uh, Matt Polly and uh, Brad Polly. Howdy. Together we are the Inglorious Pastors. So I feel like we have to really class up the joint because Science Mike is coming. <laughs> you guys, do you guys feel that? Do you feel the tension of just I like I gotta feel watch like that's a, I feel like we're fighting an uphill battle to do that. <laughs> yeah. At this point. Yeah. After thirty episodes, there's yes. really no classing up this. Point. Um. So we're excited for all the people that um have never listened to our podcast. Um, you're going to wonder, is it like this every time? And the answer is probably, yeah. We're, <laughs> this, is, this is us. Man, is this this terrible all the time? It's going to be just as terrible with like a really good interview. This is, um, um, yeah, so we're just chilling uh, like a villain, hanging with Bob Dylan. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. What we, that's what we do. I really want to break out into song. I'm trying no, to find like the don't. perfect song. There are new people listening. Do I feel not like, do it. Um, do not fight it. I feel like people, like large audiences, can relate to um, Sarah McLachlan, uh, "Arms of the Angel." That song. Are you gonna just get it out of so the way? So if you if you're listening to this podcast, um, just picture us three pastors as those dogs in those in those, um, in those, those commercials. commercials. And, uh, what the beaten and abused dogs? Yes, those dogs. That's who we are. That's that's us. Is that where we're landing on that? Yeah. Um, so support us on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon. There it is. There it is. I knew it was going somewhere. In the arms of the angel. All right. I apologize. I take no, it all back. Um, you apologize for nothing. All right. So those of you who are this, this is my six-year-old son Jude. By the yeah, way, he's Jude. You're on the podcast. Hi. Say hi. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Jude um, is awesome, number one, but he won't be here whenever we say the curse words. But that may be coming. We say bad words on here. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, say what you say. Say the bad words you're good say. We probably shouldn't. That's, yeah. that's the Jude equivalent of uh, live your life. Say stupid. Yeah. YOLO. No. Yeah. Come on, stupid. Stupid. <laughs> Fantastic. We're already. This is already the best podcast we've ever recorded. <laughs> um, so now we're going to go into um, Brad. How are you feeling? <laughs> you know, here's the thing. Like I'm fine. I ask one week, and he's going to be a dick, and just ask every week in that condescending manner. It just it just blows my mind that you thought I asked it every week, and I never did. Well, I guess I just assumed you'd be a courteous person. Well, so, so let's but now you're just going to do it and be condescending. Well, about no, it. no, how are you? I'm like, fine, Michael. Okay. Well, this is the 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 barometer of Brad's because we've we've got chill Brad and we've got mad Brad on the internet. No, I was mad Brad on the internet one week. Yes. One week. One week. Uh, what are you drinking? Oh, I am having the Oktoberfest, Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest. Uh, it is their 2016 festival lager. Mm, what kind it's, of festival? Oktoberfest? Uh, Oktoberfest, Michael. An Oktoberfestival? Yes. Gosh. My favorite kind of festival. Uh, it's really good. Really good. Um, I've only had about one other Oktoberfest that I like a little bit more. That's Sam Adams Oktoberfest, but this yeah. is really. They're, I had that. They're pretty close to being equal. Uh, Uplands is pretty good too. Also, it's a different. I would. Call, this is a different style than uh, 
Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Um, it's a definitely more of a German-inspired festival beer. So yeah. it's good. Yeah. I recommend it. Uh, Matthew, what are you drinking? Uh, we're working on the Sun King Sunlight Cream Ale. Um, it's a very inoffensive, mm-hmm. very light, very drinkable beer. It's local, fresh. Yeah. Yeah. From Indianapolis. Yep. Broad, yeah. broad Ripple, to be specific. We live in the state of Indiana. Just to let people know. <laughs> if, if you're new to the podcast. Also, we live in the state of confusion. You'll find out later on Ask Science Mike when we ask Science Mike questions. Uh, I'm drinking um, the Fieldhouse Wheat by Triton Brew Company. Um, it's very delicious. However, whenever I poured it earlier, I literally got it all over Matt's floor. We'll post a picture. I, I poured it too fast and... There was I'm trying quite, to figure out how fast you had to pour that to get that much beer on the floor. I just, I just heard, oh shit, and I look over and it's just beer just I was cascading. across the room and I just heard beer hitting the floor. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's all I heard was... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what I do. I make beer hit the floor. You definitely do. <laughs> Amongst other things. Um, I can't, I don't know. So much for classes up the joint. Yeah, well, Brad's dignity that, for one. That train, that train de- <laughs> derailed. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, so, uh, yeah, so that's what I'm drinking. Uh, this round is sponsored by the Pastor's Pub. Support us on patreon.com uh, slash Pastor's Podcast for just $1, and you get to go into the Pastor's Pub and talk to us about things. Meaningful conversations with yeah. people all over the world. Yeah, we uh, dissected Derek Webb's tweet. On there just recently, mm-hmm. uh, he had a tweet. Uh, what did it say? Some um, gods deserve atheists. Yeah, mm-hmm. we kind of broke it down. Ironically, uh, we have an interview with Derek Webb coming up soon. Yes. So, mm-hmm. um, where we mentioned that tweet as well, or he yep. mentions it. Yep. So, um, yeah. So if you're if you're jumping in, if this is your jumping on point, uh, Derek Webb's coming up. We have more guests coming up. Um, buckle, your, buckle your seat belts. Yeah. Get a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, gosh. Um, so uh, we're, this is a segment called In the News Feed, uh, where we talk about things that would be on our, our proverbial news feed on like Facebook, Twitter, um, Snapchat, um, Zanga yeah, sites. We got it. Um, Move on. Zanga Tumblr. sites? Really? Zanga <laughs> sites. Yeah, have you been on Zanga lately? It's yeah. all open. Is that Who still around? It's off the hook, man. Can we, can we? No, I haven't. Can we do this now? It's only alive on the dark net. Alright, Matt. <laughs> Zinga never dies. Matt, uh, what's your news feed? Oh, uh, I have a good news story because this this last week or so of news, social media has just it's been a blown it's been a cesspool. with a capital B. I mean, it just hey, blows. I have actually before you get into your news feed, I have one. We have good news. Matt got really old, and oh, yeah. we he uh, we were raising money for charity um, water. Charity water. And uh, he hit the goal. The goal he was, actually went over the goal. The goal was twelve hundred dollars, which would give forty people drinkable water. Yeah. We raised thirteen ten. Yeah, and so it's we still got going. 40, You've got like two more months. Yeah, left. there's no two more weeks. Two more weeks left. Yeah. So, one hundred percent of it goes to um, to what to give clean fresh yeah. water to. Yeah, uh, just give a people. few bucks, man. It's. Uh, we're up to forty-three people getting clean water now. So we're, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. And it doesn't go to anything. Thank you, thank water. you to everybody who did donate. We really I gave. Yeah, you did. Um, I haven't given because I'm a horrible person. <laughs> um, I was thinking about it. Spo- um, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! I'm not giving on the on the the thing. Um, I don't really have a good reason. I probably will, but I'm just not doing it despite you. I'm going to give a different time to someone else, not to you. So I don't. Just I don't care. Just give to somebody. I don't care. Okay. Um, 
Yeah. So give on that. Um, you're, just, you're just a giant, giant bag of troll. Is ha, what you are. Ha, just it, when it comes to this, ask WWBD. What would Brad do? Because <laughs> um, that's the answer. It, it certainly is. It's an Brad answer to something. Can I, can um, I do my story now? Yeah, story. go ahead. So um, I saw this on a couple different places. I found it on OccupyDemocrats.com, if that tells you where I am politically. Um, there's a picture going circulating circulating around social media of a, uh, a Mexican immigrant. He's 89 years old. Oh, I saw this. Uh, his name is Fidencio uh, Sanchez. He pushes a popsicle cart around Chicago and never takes a day off. What a kick-ass name, Fidencio. Yeah. Uh, his work ethic uh, inspired a passerby uh, by the name of uh, Joel Cervantes Macias, who bought $50 worth of popsicles and took, this, uh, took the iconic photo. Uh, he learned after posting the picture to social media that Sanchez had recently lost his only daughter, who had been helping to provide for him and his wife. So uh, this, this passerby who bought the popsicles... Uh, and an associate named Joe Loria uh, started a GoFundMe account for Sanchez. Our original goal was we wanted to make $200 to give him a day off. The response from the American people was a huge surprise. In just a few days, 6,000 people donated $140,000. Oh wow. Enough That's for awesome. him to finally retire and enjoy the rest he's definitely earned. It's now up to 157 at the time yeah, we're recording yeah, I this. I bet after this it gets even bigger. That's um, fantastic. So Sanchez and his wife are extremely grateful and say they will donate half the money to their local church. His tireless dedication and inspiring work ethic paints a very different picture of immigrants than is commonly seen in the American media particularly by giant douchebags like Donald Trump and his hateful allies. Oh. Um, Bye-bye, Republicans. Nice yeah, no, I, just, I don't care anymore. He's, he's, uh, he's trash, and his views are trash, and these people are human beings who help make this country go. Yeah. Um, and they're very much a part of this country. So uh, I just thought that was a, that's just a fantastic... That's, just, that's good stuff that happens in the world that you will never hear on the media because yep. it just mm. doesn't make news so please don't please tell me you're not going to steal mine uh, I'm not planning right. on it can I go though <laughs> yeah go for it it's not yours uh, have you guys ever have you guys ever wondered that if you made a weird weird request to a hotel if they would actually fulfill it <laughs> no okay so I just, a lot of times I just, I just ask for no bed bugs That's a lot of times hotel staff will go can out I of their way can I get the room without shingles well go out of their way to appease their guests so um, this guy, there's a guy, he was a, a traveler who decided to entertain himself on business trips by asking for elaborate fancies. And he didn't think they would actually comply. So There's no way this dude's at, like, the Holiday Inn. No, probably not. So, it's, the first time he said, uh, three red M&Ms on the counter. Not packages, just three single M&Ms. One for me, one for my girlfriend, and one to split if we get hungry late at night. And a picture of bacon set on the bed. I love pictures of bacon. So they did it. They actually complied with it. There's the framed picture of bacon that they put on the bed. Oh, it's framed? Yeah. Uh, I a framed picture of So bacon. he decided he was going to just keep doing this when he would go on business trips. Uh, if it's not too much trouble, could you build a fort out of pillows? It's definitely not for a 28-year-old male. <laughs> and they did it. <clears throat> they made a pillow fort. Uh, next time, he said, please provide a picture of a dog dressed as a boat captain and place on my bed. Thank you. And they did it. <laughs> That's awesome. So... Uh, Another one, one, he said, I really, really need a photo of an adorable kitten on my bed and a towel folded like a swan staring deeply into its eyes. 
And they did it. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so so awesome. it inspired some yeah. other people uh, that caught wind of it to make strange requests. And one person requested uh, a camel made out of uh, blankets. <laughs> and that happened. Um, uh, every time my girlfriend and I go on vacation, I ask for a picture of a horse saying hello in the special request section of the reservation form. <laughs> Finally, a hotel delivers. <laughs> so, so they actually did it. Uh, somebody awesome. asked, uh, when I booked my hotel a few months ago, I put in a few special requests as a joke. Champagne, roses, and a plastic dinosaur. Then I totally forgot that I'd made that request. Absolutely lost my shit when I checked into my room today. <laughs> and there's champagne, rose petals, and a plastic dinosaur. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, what is your worst experience in a hotel? Um, or motel. Man, I don't know that I've really had any. I've never really had any. Oh, I had to sleep in the same room as my father-in-law at the time. And he did not rhythmically snore. He snorted and grunted and farted his way through the night, man. It was... In the jungle, it was, I, like, I, can I just say that any hotel experience I had as a youth pastor was a freaking. There's also that. Yeah, I did get. Uh, I did get the front desk calling my room full of teenagers one time because we were too loud. Oh yeah. yeah After yeah. I told the entire yeah, I remember that. youth group not to be loud, it that was, was awesome. my room that got busted. <laughs> uh, uh, my worst was I went down to my before I married my wife. We went to a wedding. And um, it was down in, oh, man, I think Mississippi. Well, there's your first problem. I don't really know. <laughs> it was the best Western. And the, it was, like, the last room at the end of these, like, motel, like, places. Yeah. The internet was, was shoddy at best. But the, 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 I, the room was just saturated in a word that I can only, there's only one word for it. And you breathed it in, and you just lived in it. And that word is moist. <laughs> it was just... Um, it was like... You walk in, it's human. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah it was human. Yeah, man. Um, I feel like I've been I've in a been, hotel I've like had that. that well, you feel like when you're laying in the blankets, it feels wet. Yeah. Yes. Almost. Uh-huh. Like, yes. yeah, it was, um Yeah, it was just... It was mainly just moist. And it was... I just... <laughs> I spent a lot of time in that room, because she was... Busy like bridesmaiding stuff, and I wasn't about to be about that. Um, so I watched Netflix and was, was moist. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's my life. Um, so here's my news feed. Um, I've never been to IKEA. Have you guys ever been to IKEA? I have never been to an IKEA I have. ever. Yeah, I feel like Brad, Matt's been like IKEA a couple different times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not anyone here. So there's like, about to be. They're building one right now in Indy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. but there's not one now. No. So that's why we haven't been. Right. Um, but uh, there's this guy. Um, his name is... Uh, yeah, this is great rewarding, I know. Um, <laughs> Klaus uh, Jordstad. Klaus. Klaus Jordstad. He's Klaus. Nor- Klaus. Santa Claus Jordstad. <laughs> uh, he's a Norwegian uh. photographer. Um, he... Um, you know, he, he uh, posted some a picture of a stool that he recently bought at Ikea. Um, he had recently injured himself and decided he needed a, a stool to sit down while he was showering. Oh, I've seen this. Um, the stool had uh, little round circles in it. It's a red stool with, like, little round circles. Well, um, 
he bent down, um, and something happens. Uh, he said his little nutter uh, got stuck. Yeah. Um, oh! So got stuck yeah. in the... Uh, I heard this on the radio. His, his testicle got stuck in the hole in the chair. Ah! So, bye-bye, Science Mike listeners. In the, sh- in the shower, I think is what he yeah, said. Yeah, he was in yeah. the shower. So, um, he was oh, not feeling great about that. Um, <laughs> As one would. He said the captive... Uh, his captive nether region, he referred to them as the skipper and two sailors. So, um, I called dibs on that for a band name. But since this is a Science Mike episode, which is why I brought this piece, obviously, um, uh, due to science, uh, he uh, had cold water and he slid right out of there uh-huh. after some cold water. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Can we move on from yeah. this? He's, he's probably, um, probably he's sick to my stomach all of he a said, sudden. He said, uh, the water turned cold, um, so I started freezing. The water got cold, even more cold than my mother-in-law's smile when I married her daughter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so that's, uh, uh, that's it. And Ikea wrote back to him and said, we recommend you take this tool out of the shower. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was meant for the shower. No, but he's not said, really sure he was going to need that recommendation. He also point, said, if you choose to keep it in the shower, make sure you are well dressed for your next sea excursion. <laughs> for the skipper, right, I got you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he just put a towel over it, and so no, wow, that's, that's uh, pretty horrifying. This yeah. hit in uh, testicle news. Um, <laughs> this this closes our testicle uh, segment of stop saying that. The, uh, the podcast. That's a new segment. We have, <laughs> no, we have a it's not. For it it's absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> also, also EDM related. I'm yes. guessing. Testicles. Yeah, something like that. Move on. All right. Um, we apologize for new listeners. Oh my gosh, I can't. I just dug myself into a hole. How do I transition out of this? There's no way. To. There isn't one. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm excited to see how you do it, though. I have no idea. Can you hear the hamster are, on the wheel? We are pretty you? notorious for our bad transitions. Uh, so somehow I'm going to transition into our guest <laughs> on the <laughs> podcast. Oh, it's, I'm embarrassed. Oh, this may be Mike, the fir- we're, we're so very sorry. Mark, this is the first time I've ever been embarrassed on this podcast. <laughs> After 31 episodes, that's pretty That's pretty astounding for some of the stuff we've talked about. I don't know how I... I did not plan to land myself here, but here I am. Um, so, we're very, very excited and thrilled to have author, podcaster, and speaker Mike McArg on the podcast. Mike hosts a weekly uh, question and answer podcast called Ask Science Mike. Uh, it's a safe place for people to share questions they've always been afraid to ask about science, faith, and life. Ask Science Mike. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get it out. Um, Mike is also the co-founder. You've been dying to do that all yes. night, haven't you? Uh, Mike is also the co-founder of the Liturgists. Um, it's an art and spiritual collective with Michael Gunger. Um, I know Rob Bell's part of it. I just found out Pete Holmes is part of it, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shana Nequest mm-hmm. um, is also there's a there's an awesome bunch of people. I can't think of them off the top of my head. Um, but uh, as part of the the work of the liturgists, there's a podcast called the Liturgist Podcast, uh, which examines topics through the lens of science, art, and faith. Um, so Mike um, is on the podcast to talk about his new book that just came out. It's called Finding God in the Waves, um, How I Lost My Faith and Found It Again Through Science. Uh, we got this book a few weeks ago before we, we did the interview. 
Uh, we had how many days? Like five days? About five days for three of us to read it. Five days for three of us to read it. It was over 200 pages. We tore through it. And all three of us read it. Um, I wouldn't recommend reading it like that. I'm looking forward to getting my copy tomorrow and actually reading it. Yeah. Instead of just plowing through it. To say it blew our mind Mm -hmm. is an an understatement. The first pass was amazing. Yeah. It's the whole whole Uh, book. Yeah. Um, Get it. Without hesitation, yeah. yeah. Without hesitation, get it. Yeah, it is. It is a must-have for. Just I would recommend about. this book whether he was on the podcast yes. or not. It's really yeah. good. I I was, um, I'm a big fan of Science Mike. I have been since I first heard him through the liturgists, and um, it surprised me how good it was. Yeah. Uh, if you've heard the story of Science Mike, you haven't heard it this way. No. Um, and, and there's so much more, and we'll get into it during the interview as well. I will say this. It didn't surprise me that it was good. I expected it to be good. I didn't expect it to move me like it did. Mm-hmm. Like Because we've all heard his story. Literally, like I, I shared with you guys, and I think I share on the interview with Mike as well, it literally moved me to tears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it's not really expecting good. that. Um, really challenged me. Yeah. Like just, I, 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 that's what I wasn't expecting. I was expecting entertaining. Um, I was expecting some really good science content. It's both of those things. Yes. What I wasn't expecting was for it to just wreck me. Yeah. Like it did. It's it's so so freaking good. Cannot I, recommend it. It's well written. It's well balanced. Oh yeah. man, it is. I was writing with <clears throat> Brad while I was reading it. He, he was driving in the car, and I was re- reading alongside him and uh, he didn't want me to read it out loud it was a tender it was a tender moment Um, but like there were several times where I was just like holy shit yeah he was like like, I can't I'm like shut up don't tell me don't tell me it was so good so many times where I was just like yeah oh my gosh this is such a good book yeah so and we're not getting paid to say this no we're really not it's just buy the book yep buy it buy it buy it Um, if you want to pay us I mean, you can Patreon. Patreon. Patreon.com slash Pastors Podcast. Yeah. Get you in the pub. If you think our sound quality is horrible, which I'm sure we'll get some comments, uh, yeah, give us some money and we'll we'll fix that problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, so with that, we're going to go further up, further in. It's our segment we have every week where we go a little bit deeper into a spiritual topic. Um, and this week we're featuring uh, Science Mike. Mm-hmm. Mike McArg. Yep. So here we go. All right. Thank you so much, Science Mike, or Mike McArg. <laughs> Sorry. I'm so used to calling here, calling you Science Mike for short. Here. Most people do. I, I don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so I don't you. know if you know this. People can't really spell McArg easily. <laughs> yes. Well, Michael can't, so yeah, yeah well, that makes I, sense. I've already found one typo on my notes here. So, <laughs> um, so thank you so much for being uh, on the show. Um, a lot of our listeners are familiar with your work, um, but for the uninitiated, can you tell us a little bit of your story? Sure. Um, Without spoiling the entire book, I guess. Yes. <laughs> yeah, give us the Reader's Digest version. No, hold on. I'll just turn to the last page and read the last paragraph. Um, <laughs> let's see. My story. Uh, I grew up evangelical, Southern Baptist specifically. Loved it. Uh, just the world's happiest Southern Baptist. No angst. It just made me feel really like I belonged in something. Um and what I belonged in was the Baptist church. And it taught me how to be not only a good church member, but a good husband and a good father and a good employee. And as I kind of followed the Baptist way of life, things were great until they weren't. 
<laughs> and that's when the world started to behave in ways that my belief system couldn't predict. And so my dad, who was the music minister at our church, had an affair and left my mom. And I did what good Baptists do when they have problems. I turned to the Bible for answers. <laughs> and as I plumbed those pages, I found questions and contradictions and ultimately enough trouble that I became an atheist. So true story, reading the Bible turned me into an atheist. <laughs> You're probably Just, not the only one in that. Definitely not, but it surprises a lot of Christians yeah. that like intense Bible study. And I didn't read the Bible to tear it apart. I read the Bible because I trusted it yeah. and because I believed that God would speak to me through it. And instead, I uh, lost my faith and became an atheist, which was a real bummer as a Southern Baptist deacon and Sunday school teacher to be an atheist. Um, and I imagined it would be social calamity if I just showed up at church and said I didn't believe in God anymore. So I became like a secret agent internet atheist. <laughs> um, so nobody who knew me knew I was an atheist. Uh, but people who knew me online only knew me as an atheist. And I kept those things very distinct. And I just kind of hacked my Sunday school lessons and spiritual teachings to be in line with humanism. We talked about the poor and the orphan and the widow a lot. We talked about the fires of hell. Never. <laughs> and... Um, I would have got away with it if it weren't for those teenagers and their dog. Uh, really dated Scooby-Doo reference. I found it. Yeah, I don't catch it at all. Totally got it. Totally with I you. Still use it every time. With you 100%. And, but it's actually my wife was like, hey, something's not right. Do you, <laughs> is there something I need to know? Yeah, wives and are that, really good at that. Yeah, and that's when it all fell apart. And um, it's a tough time in our marriage. And... Uh, Super long story short, uh, I met God on a beach. Yeah. Yeah, that... Uh, I try to leave it there with enough intrigue that people yeah, go, Yeah, yeah, the first <laughs> and time buy I, the book. The first time I heard that was uh, when you were on Pete Holmes' podcast, and it blew me away. Like, I still can't get it out of my head. I won't spoil it because I want people to read the book, but... But I would it, also say, even for people like you that have heard the whole story, like, the story everyone on the internet has heard is only the first half of the book. Right. Absolutely. What really yeah. excited me about this project was to go beyond the beach and into reintegrating God into my life and my belief system yeah. using science. The, the axioms, like we tried to plan a church a few years ago, and I kind of wish you'd been around about three years ago with your axioms because <laughs> those would have come in really handy for how we were trying to articulate where we stood as a church on things. Um, and so I think I think for I think I'll be interested to see what these axioms do in the long term for churches because they provide a different language, a different way of talking about things. It's the weirdest thing. Have you uh, seen Have you seen that a lot where churches have started to do that? Do you Do you know? Oh yeah, and that's what confuses me. Like for, they're <laughs> first of all, they're called axioms. Yeah. Like even on your show, I bet like seventy percent of people went, "What? <laughs> What's an axiom? What?" I'm, I'm hitting fast forward, man. What's on? Uh, what's on invisibility this week? Um, they, they fast forward through the first half of the podcast until we get to the good stuff. Usually, so <laughs> the first half is generally just us cussing and drinking beer. So, oh they man, I love it. Yeah. They generally fast forward. Through Two that. of my favorite things. There you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so, 
anyway, so these axioms were just things I made like for myself yeah. uh, to try to like get a handle on my faith, to have something I could believe that my sort of ongoing skepticism and frankly my inner atheist uh, continued to fight against these these spiritual experiences, these knowing of God to experience moments. And these axioms were just a way to kind of protect myself from my own skepticism <laughs> with ideas about God and prayer and the church that were scientifically defensible. And they weren't meant for anyone. And then I meet this guy named Michael Gunger. <laughs> it turns out is a, I was a Southern Baptist atheist and he's a worship leading atheist. And so there's a lot <laughs> of similarities there. So I literally just told him these axioms just because I thought they might help him too. And he got all fired up and shared them on his blog. <laughs> so then I put them on my blog. And now to this day, still three to 500 people uh, a week will come and look at that post Wow! all the time, That's sometimes awesome. as much as 500 a day. <laughs> and crazy. I mean, this is an old post. It's, it's not really that well put together. And I think it just, it leads to something uh, that's missing in, in spiritual discussions today. And that's the kind of the authority science brings of people and why. Uh, and that's why, by the way, there's an appendix in the book. And the only appendix in the book is a list of all the axioms, kind of a quick reference yeah. of the most up to date. Uh, and I actually, the first draft of the book didn't have the axioms in it. And my editor said, you got to put the axioms in there. And I'm like, nobody's going to buy a book <laughs> with axioms in it. Like we're limiting our own market here, but they were really passionate. And I think it turned out okay. I think so. Yeah. Too. That actually yeah. was one of my favorite parts of the book. Yeah. was uh, that you expanding on those axioms. That was actually the part that made me cry. <laughs> right on. Yeah, it did. Uh, good tears. You are a nerd, and that means you're like my kind of person. Oh, this, yeah, there's three giant nerds yeah, around this table right yeah, now. For real. I went to space camp for crying out loud. So, um, <laughs> as a so you live my unrealized dream. So I live, yeah. He, he I, got to crash the uh, space shuttle yeah, the simulator, yeah. so that's, uh, that's a dream come true. That's incredible. <laughs> Do you want to ask your question, Brian? Yeah, okay. So um, I've talked to a ton of atheists over the years. I have friends that are atheists. Um, we actually just interviewed uh, an atheist uh, that is one of our kind of our followers on the podcast a couple weeks ago. And a lot of them have said something very similar to the effect of, like, I wish I could believe I just can't. Uh, neurologically speaking, is it easier for some people to believe than others, or are we all on a level playing field? Uh, we're not on a level playing field at all. That's a really good point. Um, it's just like if you were to, and I kind of talk about this in the book a little bit. Um, you think about if you're going to start running, some people are just genetically better runners than mm. other people. Right. Uh, but that's not a, you know, it doesn't doom you if you neurologically are less predisposed to spiritual experiences. Because even someone like me who is not a naturally fast runner, I've run and completed a marathon, which is something very few people have done. And the way I did that was just to train really hard. Hmm. And so we kind of understand through science that there are different practices you can do that increases your brain's propensity to experience God as something real or as a, as a felt experience and also increase your propensity to have mystical experiences regardless of the baseline you start out with. Now, for some people... 
um, they're going to have these experiences kind of automatically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it has a lot to do with how your um, brain is biased. People whose thinking and, and mental activity is heavily biased towards their prefrontal cortex and frontal lobes in the brain uh, are going to be more drawn to ideas like apologetics and theology, very intellectual expressions of faith, mm -hmm. and also may have a little harder time having felt experiences, whereas folks that have more mental activity towards the, the interior and the sides of the brain may end up having, you know, an easier time just being like, well, I know God. I love God. What are you talking about? I don't understand this doubt thing you're talking about in the first place. Sure. And it, in neither of those cases is one method of thinking better or worse than the other. Right. Uh, they're just different ways that human brains model reality. Sure. So that has a lot to do, like in the book you talk extensively about, there isn't a, a, a God part of the brain, but there are neural networks, correct? That... Yes, absolutely. So kind of the problem in earlier research, and frankly part of what kind of led to me becoming an atheist was, as some scientists would say, well, we found God here in this one spot of the brain. That's all it is. When you experience God, you're just having one, one piece of literature. I said it was, a, it was like a seizure in the left frontal lobe. Uh, and I was like, what? My <laughs> beloved God is a seizure in my left frontal lobe? <laughs> uh, or another God would, you know, found a God, said he found a God spot. And what they're actually saying is, is they found components of the experience we call God. And it took a more sophisticated examination with more studies uh, through a field called neurotheology to get a more complete picture of where and how God resides in our brains. And what you find there is fascinating, that for a person who really believes in God, uh, that God is this incredibly intricate, elaborate network, series of connections between different parts of the brain that is in some ways unique to every individual. Everyone has kind of their own unique representation. But we, we find kind of two dominant images of God in brains, an anger God and a loving God. And that basically has to do whether... Your God model's network is primarily centered on your amygdala, the part of the brain responsible for fear and anger, or your anterior cingulate cortex, the part of the brain that neuroscientists believe is responsible for empathy and for compassion. Uh, but either way, God is not, uh, neurologically speaking, a noun like chair or car or boat. Right. And when you ask someone, you know, what is a boat, they can start to tell you really quickly what a boat is or what is the moon. But when you ask someone what is love, that takes a long time. Or if you ask someone to say, what was it like when your child was born? They have to stop and think because you're asking them to take a non-linguistic neurological pattern and process it through their brain's language center. And it's exactly that way when you ask people about God. People who deeply relate to God don't do so in a linguistic framework. So it's not a sign that they're simplistic or foolishness that they can't quickly say who or what is God. It's actually because their brain's model of God is more sophisticated and more intricate than simple language. And I can totally relate to that. Like I, I could never, like I've always, I thought about that question a lot. Like, why do you believe it? Like, I have no idea. Like I cannot articulate why for 39 years and 11 months I've, <laughs> I've believed, and I can't find words for it. I simply cannot explain to people why. I mean, I can say I've seen this, I've seen this happen, I've seen 
you know, these things, these have had these experiences, but I cannot articulate why. Well, you know, the primary goal for me writing this book was to help people who struggle with doubt, people who want to believe in God but can't start the journey of, of making that goal, reaching that goal in their life. Yeah. But another goal in the book, kind of a secondary goal, was for people who do believe but have difficulty articulating why or having the language to discuss their faith with more skeptical friends and family. Uh, that is a huge, huge part of how this book is designed is to facilitate those conversations. Well, and that actually leads to my to the next question. Um, you spend you spend a fairly significant amount of time talking with atheists, spending time around atheists. Um, could you? There's no good way to ask this question. I hate the way I asked it, but I can't. I couldn't think of a better way to ask it. I guess describe for us a little bit like how you see your quote unquote ministry to them, if you want to call it that. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. That's kind, a you terrible. Know, that's a terrible term. <laughs> could not think of a better one. You know, basically, and again, this is also a terrible term. What do you see as the end game for what you do? Oh, for lack man. of a better term. Like, I don't, I can't think of a better way to ask that, but I, I don't know. I guess ministry is the best way I can say that, but that's not, that's not, I don't think at all that's how you would describe it. It's a loaded question. Yeah. No, it's not a loaded question. It sounded that way at first, but then I think I got a handle on it. Yeah. Um, atheists are my neighbor. Yeah. Mm. It's that simple. Yeah. So my ministry to atheists is to love them as myself. Um, and the, the, you know, well, what do we do with our neighbor? <laughs> Jesus used the parable of the Good Samaritan. This yeah. is why I'm a Christian is, is the power of teachings like yeah. that. Um, uh, now, depending on how you read that story, um, the neighbor can be the one on the ground or the one who administers the aid. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and at different times I've been both, you know, it's funny to me, um, uh, it was an atheist who kind of talked me off the ledge after I didn't believe in God anymore. I remember that part of the book. Who told me about stuff. comfort and, and came to us with compassion. In fact, the first time I kind of publicly talked about my doubt was anonymously on a website. And I found all the atheists were so compassionate and gracious and affirming. And the Christians told me I was going to hell. Um, and so who was my neighbor? Yeah. In that moment, was right. it the atheists right. or the Christians? So, you know, I don't have a thing I'm trying to get atheists to believe. Sure. I don't have axioms. I, I come across on the internet, people take my axioms and kind of go in evangelical mode oh, on man. atheist forums and try to convince people <laughs> to believe in God like they do using these axioms. Yeah. That's not what I'm about. Right. The reason the Liturgist Podcast and Ask Science Mike have significant skeptic and atheist audiences is precisely because I'm not trying to take them anywhere. Exactly. I'm just trying to honor them as humans with dignity and learn what I can from their perspectives and share from my own. Uh, if I do have a goal in my ministry or my work, it's equipping people to treat each other with kindness and dignity and graciousness when we disagree on things. And once we've done that, to then partner together on things we can agree with. So we may not agree on whether God's an appropriate word to use in the context of the cosmos, but can we agree that global poverty is a terrible yeah, evil that must be addressed? And I'd much rather work with atheists who disagree with me on the word God, but want to eliminate global poverty, than to sit in a room full of people who agree about me with the word God 
but don't care about the poor. Yeah, and we we just so you know, I feel really dirty asking that question. We 100% or 100% on board with what you said. Yeah, totally. And that's how we that's how we sort of approach things too. When we talked with our 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 friend from Twitter, the atheist friend from Twitter, um, she and I have gone back and forth about stuff and just talked. And that's the conclusion. It's like we're say we're using the same language about stuff. We're just not talking about God. I mean, we're on the same team. We're trying to achieve the same things from a humanistic standpoint. Um, so yeah, I felt really filthy asking that question, but it was, <laughs> it's one I kind of have just is a curiosity thing. Um, I mean, atheists outnumber evangelicals in the Ask Science Mike audience. Yeah. It's that big. Now, that's not true on the liturgist, the, the atheist audience. The evangelical audience is just so much bigger for the liturgist podcast than sure. Ask Science Mike, but it's still, you know, I think, pro- I don't know for sure, but based on the kind of data I've drawn, uh, I think it's a reasonable assumption that Ask Science Mike and the Liturgist Podcast have the largest atheist and skeptical audiences of any, quote, Christian, unquote, media in the world. Um, and it's our commitment just to having good conversations. Yeah, That's awesome. Um, so in your book, you talk about creating a spreadsheet um, for all the times that the Bible <laughs> contradicted itself. Um, I just about did a spit take on my microphone. <laughs> um and it, it seems to me that Christians and atheists both use the Bible as a weapon. Um, and then you you mention in, in your book that you say that, have you ever noticed that Christians and atheists don't talk to one another as much as they talk at one another? Um, given your experience in both of those camps, um, what does each group need to do in order to make this happen, to where we can talk to each other? Well, I think first, um, it's funny how like really anti-theistic atheists, people who are against the practice of faith, who think it's harmful, tend to read the Bible with the same lens that fundamentalists do, (laughs) which is, you know, biblical literalism and biblical inerrancy. Um, And then they, you know, they kind of have this fight uh, in, in those terms it's a tough conversation for me to be a part of because I'm not a biblical literist. And I'm also, and this is a little more controversial than all circles of the church, I'm not even a biblical inerrantist. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's like, well, we're I don't hold there. those yeah. assumptions. We're, You're we're both reading the text well. different than I do. Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest thing um, that they could do is understand that their fundamental epistemology, the way that they see knowledge arise from the world is different and that they don't have any shared language to build that bridge and that to truly understand each other the conversation would have to start with a lot of quiet listening (laughs) uh introspection and study uh so christians and and religious people accept revelation that, that god can speak to us and communicate us either through scripture or personally as a way of uncovering facts about the world, and uh, atheists do not. So you've already got this huge divide here, and so Christians are saying things that they accept to be true because God has revealed them, and atheists are saying, well, how do you know that to be true? And they say, well, God has revealed it. And they say, well, how do you know that? They say, well, God has revealed it. And atheists go, oh, they you simple self-referential fools. Um, but in, the, in doing that, um, Skeptics are missing, uh, A, the profound felt need endemic to human brains for spiritual experience, for transcendence, for purpose and meaning, and B, are 
really being reductionist. Now, I don't have a problem with empiricism and even reductionism philosophically, but when you're trying to encapsulate the entirety of the human experience, atheists don't as finely dice their own appreciation for art as they do slice and dice their neighbor's appreciation for God. <laughs> um, and they, they won't allow a religious person to have the same amount of freedom to explore that brain state, which is not primarily linguistic as nature, as they do a great bottle of red wine in themselves. Now, I'm, being, I'm not talking about all atheists here. I want to be really sure, clear. Sure. Yeah. The majority of atheists don't give a crap what you believe about God as long as you don't dictate what they have to believe yeah, in their life. Right. Uh, but I'm talking about the, like what I would call an evangelical atheist here. Yeah. And so I think it would require uh, a nuanced perspective on both, especially to understand that neither Christians nor atheists are homogenous groups and that there's a tremendous diversity of thought and opinion on in both of those worldviews, which it's tough to even call atheism a worldview anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, but um, it's much easier to build a simple straw man opponent representing the quote other side unquote than it is to really understand how they see the world. Yeah. Hmm. That was a rambly answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, like it's great. It's great. We're mind. just sort of processing it all. Yeah. <laughs> um, let me ask you a question. What of your time as an atheist did you carry? Have you carried back to a life of faith? Oh, there's so much. Uh, let me think of like a big one. How, what's right or wrong? What causes other people to suffer or violates their consent? Hmm. That is such a powerful way of working on moral and ethical issues and creating clarity where sometimes there's ambiguity in more classical systems of morality and ethics. Um, yeah, that's the best one. I think that's by, <laughs> okay. by far the best that one. That works. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Do you, and I know, I ask this question out of my own experience because I sort of find this happening to me. Um, do you, do you ever find that your, your, your Baptist upbringing, your, um, early evangelical roots, you went from evangelical to atheist back to, to this mystical, um, back towards mysticism essentially. Do you ever find that your sort of your Baptist, your evangelical roots, your upbringing sort of rears its head at times, where you have to sort of fight back against it? Because I know that I personally find things rattling around in my head that, I'm like, well, I know at one point I believed that. Do I still believe that, or is that something I've let go? That sort of is kind of <laughs> kind of making its way back to the forefront of my my brain to influence the way I think about things. Does that make sense at all? That it makes perfect okay. sense. Like when I first became an atheist, I had months where I was so afraid I was going to hell. Mm. And I go, what are you, you're not afraid you're going to hell. There's no such thing as hell. Sure. And then as soon as I thought that, I would think, oh my God, I'm going to hell. <laughs> um, and it was just this incredibly, um, I don't know, ping pong game existence. Um, you guys still there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. you got so quiet, I was afraid the connection went dead. No, we're just listening. And um, and there were lots of experiences like that. Sometimes, uh, you know, my grandmother died, and I didn't believe in God. Mm. And it was the first time I contemplated, really, like, I'll never see her again. Yeah. And uh, I prayed for the first time in a long time. I said, God, please be there. <laughs> please give me a sign that I'll see her again, that I'll see you again. Sure. Total silence, of course. <laughs> um, 
And, you know, like I came around uh, as an atheist on the issue of marriage equality. And then, you know, had to deal with like my own personal sense of disgust for people in same-sex relationships, even though I kind of come around the corner, like philosophically, I guess. That didn't mean suddenly all those years of viewing that as repulsive were deconditioned, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. What I found amazingly is that process is kind of difficult and destructive, but in time, uh, when you learn to embrace where you've come from, sure. it's actually quite beautiful. I had a friend who told me, here you are, this, this empiricist mystic, whatever the hell that is. <laughs> uh, and you go around the country telling your testimony, is there a more Baptist form of work <laughs> than what you do now? Uh, and oh, by the way, you know, you're, you're, you're still like a skeptic. You're still tearing apart theology all the time, like this atheist that you're not anymore. And I, I don't fight that stuff anymore. So I did learn as a Baptist how to tell others about my experience in a compelling way. And that's a gift. I'm so yeah, thankful yeah, sure. to the Southern Baptist Church for that training. And as an atheist, I learned how to evaluate claims based on merit and evidence, something I was never so good at in my life. I learned more about science, even though I've loved science my whole life, but I learned more about science in those two years of unbelief than I had in the first 30 years of my life. And that was another gift. So at some point we stopped trying to rebel against the past and simply learn what it's given us to grow yeah. uh, while casting off those things that held us back. That, that brings us to our next question. And it's right in that same vein of, um, so at, at the end of your first chapter, you have some very nice things to say about evangelicals. Um, and as former pastors uh, who left that stream, uh, we struggle uh, to have nice things to say about uh, fundamentalists. Um, how did you get to a place where you can you can say nice things about that tradition? And, and I think we see merit, but but how do you get past the things that that? Um, how do you get past the wounds? <laughs> yeah, essentially. Um, you recognize that cynicism is hiding something. <laughs> and that's pain and trauma and that hiding in literally in the structures of your brain are the trauma of loss and separation anxiety and losing your community and the hurt that you felt and the rejection you felt and you cry a lot and you go to pieces and you get mad and you punch the wall and you pay $100 an hour to talk to a therapist just because you feel crazy saying the same things over and over to anyone else. <laughs> yeah. And if you do that long enough, your brain actually starts to release that trauma. Um, you know, it's really weird when we have these unresolved grief, when we have these unforgiven relational dynamics, even when ongoing resentment is warranted, there's science that is a slam dunk that it continues to affect your cognitive performance, the way you emotionally relate to your circumstances and to other people, and even your physical performance in different activities. You 
don't jump quite as high. You can't run quite as fast until you go through the process of grief and forgiveness. And the only way to do that is to embrace and let out those feelings which are most uncomfortable to experience and especially difficult for people raised in an evangelical context because we associate that kind of grief with weakness or a failure to trust in God which traps us in that place. But I have learned the profound beauty of a sob. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think we just went to church. Sure, but, uh, wow. Yeah. See, I told you your book made me cry. I really wasn't expecting to have to do it in an interview. You, the, the, you, I've you, got a lot of people saying the book made them cry. Which, it uh, did, yeah. I tweeted at you the other day that, and it was 100% true. Um, <laughs> my wife was like, are you okay? I'm like, I'll be fine. <laughs> um, but that kind, of, uh, that kind of leads me to the next question is, I personally, all three of us have gone through major deconstruction of our faith. Um, I would say even a loss of faith in a lot of ways and have sort of come back to something, even if we can't articulate what that is. Um, I know <laughs> there's been times where we've all looked at each other and go, do you ever long for the days when belief was easy and you didn't question anything? Um, and I was wondering if you ever, do you ever have those longings? Like, was it easier to live without a life without skepticism? Or do you feel like your life is easier now knowing what you know? I don't know that my life is easier now. My life was easier then. Mm -hmm. My life is more fulfilling now. Mm -hmm. But I don't wrestle with doubt the way that I did when I first came back to faith. Sure. Because I no longer view doubt as a dark night of the soul. I view doubt as like a really clever friend. <laughs> and so when doubt comes to the neighborhood, I open the door and grab two beers. <laughs> because what do I have to fear? Yeah. Because what do I have figured out? Like, I don't have anything to doubt. Right. What, what, what belief do I hold so seriously that I can't let it go? Um, and that, that true humility is liberating. Yeah. yeah. Because I'm no longer... It's no longer my job to have all the answers about God, like when I was a deacon and a Sunday school teacher. Yeah. My three favorite words are, I don't know. <laughs> and so, in that context, doubt stops being a threat. It's just a way that you check this most recent beautiful insight that has been given to you. Um, and, you know, I kind of use this image of the book instead of, you know, we the way we approach our knowledge, especially about God, is we kind of mine these diamonds from the earth. Yeah. There are blood and sweat, and we've got coal on our hands, and we sit there and we just white-knuckle grip these diamonds we work so hard for. Uh, the problem is sometimes the diamonds are uh, flawed or, or, or shatter or whatever, and then we're left empty-handed. And my approach now is more that I just kind of hold my hand out and just sometimes a butterfly lands on it. I just look at it, and it's beautiful, and as long as it's there, I enjoy it. And then eventually it flies away. That was one of my favorite lines from the whole book. I took a picture yeah. of that and put it in my notes. <laughs> yeah, it was. That one, I went nuts on that yeah. one. Um, but that's that's what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. when you have that posture, yes. what is there to doubt? It's just another beautiful experience we get to be a part of. Yeah, and I feel like, for me personally, there's less that I have to defend. 
like I remember just being exhausted growing up and being a kind of a more conservative pastor. I feel like I was constantly having to defend my beliefs, and now I just don't defend them. I would just leave room for people to disagree um, and leave room for myself to disagree with myself. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, that, uh, that definitely resonates with me as well. I, I, there was a passage you had in the book it's that, where you, you say, you talk about you, you may not have been a Christian anymore, but you knew, you knew how to act like one. And that you said, I'd have to lie, but that was a small price if it meant protecting my community and getting to hold on to the life I loved. I've often felt that there was sort of a, again, I'm not sure I'm going to word this correctly, but there's, I've often felt there was a place for such lies as those, <laughs> essentially, to, or, or, or to live a life where you're sort of hiding things from people in order to protect them. From unnecessary pain, do you still do you still subscribe to that idea that there's that maybe it's more important to protect people than to be quote unquote 100 percent morally honest? Does that question make sense at all? It does make sense, and that's more of a generalized question, just about about how to interact with other people in relationships. I guess are there things that you should protect people from, or is it more is it better to just be 100 percent honest no matter what the consequences? I try to structure my life and relationships in such a way that there's, there's enough intimacy. Um, to say things sooner than later, I found that difficult conversations don't age well. Um, so no matter how much it like makes me uncomfortable, if like there's something I feel like my wife needs to know, I tell her as soon as I can. I mean, I'll like get off the airplane and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, just because I never want to get in that two-year lie with my wife again. Sure, right. I think there are some things that people in different contexts or different distances from us in our life aren't ready for. Um, and I think in those cases, I just don't go there. I don't think I... I, I, I avoid active duplicity or, or, or moral lying. Sure. Um, but that might just be like a personal preference and an ickiness and my own trauma from having done that for a couple of years and that reconciling process as being very difficult. Uh, but, but there are things, there are experiences I've had in my life, um, that aren't on the podcast that aren't going out on the air. Sure. Um, because I don't think they're appropriate for the audience or public consumption. Right. Not because I'm ashamed. So, is that like a non-answer? I tried to answer. <laughs> no, that, that, that's why I was just—I was just a more curious thing for me because I know I've been in those situations where I'm like, if I say something, it may hurt this person. If I'm—if I'm 100% honest, it's probably going to do more damage than it will good. So, that was more just a curious. Well, and I think there's actually an honesty and brutal honesty. Yeah. Um. You know, somebody, people send me their work all the time now. <laughs> and some people are really early in the process. So what do you think? And I, I have time to answer very few of those emails. But someone like meets me after an event and a meet and greet and they've got this thing. Can you read this poem? Sometimes they're amazing. Yeah. And sometimes they're not. <laughs> um, but I still find something I can say that will encourage them to keep working sure. on their craft. Sure. Um, so that, that, I think that might kind of go with what you're talking about, but I can, I can find something redemptive in anywhere. Sure. You know, tell me a story. Have you been working on this? Where'd you, where'd you get this? And through that whole process, 
maybe try to figure out their trajectory and the way to get them to the next step sure. without saying, oh, you should totally seek a publishing deal for this. Yeah, sure. Very cool. On your, your podcast recently, uh, you described a uh, mystic as someone who has an encounter uh, like the one you describe in your book. Um, how would you describe someone uh, who has not had those experiences but feels linked to mysticism? Yeah, well, this, uh, those, are, those are distinct things. A mystical experience is one thing. A mystic is another thing. So a mystic is just someone who believes God can't be specifically articulated in language. Okay. Right? Yeah. So anyone can be a mystic. All you have to do is think that God can't be confined completely by language or even by mathematics. That um, that's an insufficient means for describing the entirety of what we call God. That when we use language about God, we're using metaphors that point people to God, but we're not describing God's self. A mystical experience is a particular type of experience where people have a profound sense of connection to God that they also can't articulate with language, but they have like seven characteristics in order to be classed as a mystical experience. So I totally think it's possible to be a mystic who has never had a mystical experience. Wow. And I think okay. probably most people, even who identify as mystics, haven't had mystical experiences, although many people who are mystics that engage in some sort of contemplative practice, probably what they want more than anything in the world is to achieve a mystical experience through that process. Sure. I know that's something that the three of us have sort of wrestled with, because as we sort of come out of this post, we're kind of in that post-evangelical phase of our faith where we've sort of that doesn't define kind of where we are now. We've wrestled with what term does define what we are now, as far as terms can define stuff. But in mystic is kind of where we landed. But I'm not sure any of us have really had I've had instances, but I've never had anything like you had. On like like that specific. kind of yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Again, I'm not sure what would fall with those seven different ways of or seven different meanings. I mean, look at the Bible. Right. Yeah. There's like a handful of experiences in the Bible as intense as what happened to me. Right. And I have no idea why that happened to me and doesn't happen to someone else. But I do know, based on what I've seen in studies, those experiences are rare. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I've wondered sometimes if maybe some of us have those experiences primarily so we can share them with others. Right. Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, and so they're not really for us. Um, but I'm even afraid to talk about that because a lot of times people try to shoehorn me using this word prophet, which I hate <laughs> being called a prophet. Uh, hate it. Capital H. Hate. Um, so, yeah, I just, I don't know if that just comes down to the way brains work, you know? Yeah. Like, only some people are, uh, what is it, tetrachromatic? Only some women have this ability to see extra colors beyond the rest of humanity. I mean, that's really cool, but it's amazing. I mean, it's kind of terrible because everybody's clothes look like they don't match, but <laughs> um, I bet it's really amazing to look at a field of flowers right. with that enhanced vision. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, other than genetics and, and probability, if we try to assign purpose to that narrative, I can't do that any better than sure. anyone else. Well, that kind of leads to the next question. With your story being so mystic i mean just a, i mean it's a mystical experience and there's no other way to define it 
What kind of response do you get from atheists about your story? I'm sure it's probably all over the board, but is there more? Is there certain responses you get more than others? Gosh, that's a great question. It's changed over time. Um, some people say I'm making it up for attention. Uh, that was an early thing I heard a lot. I don't hear that very much anymore, but that was kind of the first big move. Um, other people say I hallucinated. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I made it up and I hallucinated are both pretty reasonable conclusions to draw from the story. Sure. Yeah. I'm not dismissing those. Right. Did, did you ever feel like you did? One of, like, did you ever feel like you did? I mean, did you have a period of time where you felt like later on, did I just hallucinate that? Or did that was like hallucinating or did that actually happen? Yeah. So I took a picture of the spot the next morning at breakfast. Okay. Because I knew I would think it didn't happen. I made it all up. <laughs> so, yeah, the wave happened. And uh, the light happened. Yeah. Um, but I gave myself forensic evidence because I know how skeptical I am. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so some people say I made it up. Some people say I hallucinated. Um some people just think that atheist thing is a cool story and that uh, I'm describing the brain state people describe when they talk about God. Hmm. So those are probably the three major mm-hmm. okay. atheist responses to this story. Uh, and of course, they're, they're as varied as, as, as the human experiences. Do you get, so I guess the follow-up question to that would be, what kind of Christian response do you get from that story? Um, people are either affirmed mm-hmm. or envious. <laughs> oh, Interesting. Yeah. They're either like, oh, I needed to hear that story. Yeah. Or why you and not me? <laughs> Those are the, the two major reactions from Christians. I get less hate mail than you would think. I get almost none. Uh, I do get really conservative Christian apologists saying I'm overvaluing experience at the expense of rigorous theology. Mm-hmm. And when I say, what is rigorous theology, and how do you prove that? <laughs> Which they then say, here's my 800-page book. Right, here's my 800-page <laughs> yes. uh, incoherent <laughs> <laughs> Which I could subtitle Claims Without Evidence. Right. Exactly. Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, Self-referential claims without evidence. <laughs> you talk about. <laughs> Sorry, I so crack myself up with that sometimes. Great. Can that be the next the title of your next book? Actually, <laughs> we would we would one hundred percent support that on yeah. Kickstarter or whatever you want to do. Um, <laughs> um, on page on one of your you talk about the facade of holding on to the facade during worship service being hard, and part of the reason that I personally I think the three of us probably relate to this that, that I personally have stopped going for the time being to any kind of local church community was that the songs really held little appeal to me anymore because I've been singing them for so long. And while they were familiar, they, they sort of reflect an understanding of God and a faith, et cetera, that I, I used to hold on to, but don't necessarily anymore. And so it's more of just more nostalgia than anything. Um, and I think the same could be said for sermons. Um, you know, I've taught and studied for years as a minister and as a Bible college student, um, what you know, and it's going to sound terribly arrogant, but what can they tell me that I haven't taught before? And I'm sure that there's some things, and I know that's arrogant to say that. At the same time, as much as I miss 
going to Sunday services. There's part of me that half longs for that familiarity, but the other half of me really likes sleeping in on Sundays. And so what would you say to people sort of in my boat, in our boat, who find themselves in that conundrum where there's a draw to that, but there's also a kind of a pull away from that as well? When I was in high school, Pearl Jam was my favorite band. And I listened to the album 10 so many times that I could start at the first word of the first song and recite the lyrics to the entire album without stopping. And I loved Pearl Jam's 10. It's my go-to record. Mm -hmm. And then Pearl Jam released verses, same thing. Went through, I learned all those songs. Uh, Vitology, same thing. For years, Pearl Jam kind of stayed at the top of my musical heap. And then I got kind of tired of Pearl Jam. <laughs> it's not that I like hated Pearl Jam. It's just a song would come on and like I couldn't get through the whole thing because I knew exactly what the next measure, what the drums, the bass, the rhythm, the lead, the layered acoustic, the vocals, the reverb, background vocals, every piece of every measure was so familiar that there was no novelty to keep my brain interested. So I quit listening to Pearl Jam for years and then about two years ago started having this Pearl Jam renaissance <laughs> and I went to this a friend of mine invited me to something called the Global Citizen Festival and Pearl Jam and Beyonce were playing I mean come on you're not going <laughs> to see Pearl an Jam and combo. Beyonce yeah. <laughs> so uh, I went to see that show which was amazing and life changing and, oh, I loved it. I hadn't seen Pearl Jam live in 20 years. Wow. And it was like coming home. So maybe for a while, you just don't need to listen to Pearl Jam. <laughs> maybe for a while, you need to have brunch. Yeah. Uh, I think it's when that longing comes in, that's a sign. Yeah. Church doesn't have to be a Sunday morning liturgy. Church, you're having church right now. Right, absolutely. Um, so whatever it takes to feed you and grow you and heal you so that you can offer grace and healing to others, that is church. Uh, and for me, after a time off, I really wanted to hear 10 again. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I wish I would have had those terms for the book. <laughs> that would have been a great thing to have. In the, in Maybe the second book. edition. Maybe the second edition. edition. Yeah. I, is there an, you talk like, kind of going back in the book, when you talk about the neural networks and you, you liken it to that, the government being all in one building when you're talking about the brain. You're talking about the neural networks. If I, if I, if I could just say, yeah. I came up with that analogy. And I'm super proud of it. It's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> it was, seriously, it totally made it understandable. It really yeah. did. Yeah, it was great. Um, but the you talked about how when you stopped believing in God, it was like the light when you or not actually before that the lights sort of going out one at a time in the offices that dealt with God. I know that's sort of a terrible paraphrasing of what you said, but um, is there a is when you're talking about this kind of thing when you're talking about does the longing have to be there or can you do a, can you sort of fake it till you make it, so to speak and trick, like read sort of like if, let's say if I don't believe in the, the a lot of the things in the Bible, um, 
and I start reading the Bible again, can I sort of rebuild that part of my brain that the net those neural networks to sort of fake it until I believe it again? Or, yeah, you can. Okay. Sure. Or I would say, does the logging have to go with that? You can get in shape when you don't want to. That's true. If your doctor says, listen, if you don't use, lose 20 pounds, you have a heart attack in the next three years. Mm-hmm. You'll be like, damn it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you'll do it and you'll hate it. Uh, and you'll have a harder time. And statistically, it'll be less likely to stick. Hmm. I think it's more important to work on the motivation first. Sure. I think wanting to work on it when you don't have the motivation, maybe the first thing you do is admit is that's a form of wanting it. <laughs> um, but to do kind of the self-reflection work, to say, why am I doing this? Why do I want to do this? And that might help you find kind of your light for your path um, instead of just kind of trudging along out of some misplaced sense of obligation. Sure, It's, it's hard to believe in God today. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Christian life is, in many ways, subversive and countercultural, mm-hmm. uh, in the best way. So why would you choose that? Why would you choose this narrow way if you don't want it? Right. Um, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't choose it um, if I didn't want it. So, and I don't think I don't think like everyone. Just <laughs> where I really get off with the. Uh, conservatives i don't think everyone has to i don't think that's a thing yeah yeah, yeah sure sure um i just think with with us it's, it's i'll just speak for me it's been such a part of my life my entire life i mean i grew up in church um you know when i said that your book made me cry i think i did a lot of examination over the weekend i had a lot of driving to do for work and uh i think what it did was it sort of reawakened something in me a longing i wasn't even sure was there anymore um, when I was reading through, especially the, the section on Jesus, the chapter on Jesus and the chapter on church, um, really sort of ignited a longing in me I didn't know was there. Um, but then like the more after I got done thinking about it enough, the more I was like, I just don't know if I can do church yet. Um, yeah, the don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's that simple. Yeah. I think uh, maybe if a little lamp has come on in you, just enjoy that for a while. Sure. Like go for a walk and think about Jesus and enjoy the novelty of that. Yeah. And check out your Bible like in a like fun way. Yeah. On your own. Yeah. When you want to. Right. Enjoy enjoy some you know passage. Hopefully not Leviticus or Deuteronomy. Like you would enjoy a good beer and. Just let it be that. Don't rush it. There's yeah. no... We're, we've been trained by institutional Christianity that there's just the one right way to do this. Yeah. And that's just not true. Right, right. Um, as an aside, the Jesus, the church, and the Bible chapters are my three favorite chapters in the book. Yep. Yep. They, awesome. were, they were fantastic. Uh, we all really, really, really like your book. Um, and we listen to your podcast, both the liturgist and ask science, Mike, um, we feel like your book and your podcast, um, science, Mike specifically, um, is the perfect mix of science, faith, and life. Um, I have that theme song in my head right now. I'm not finishing. <laughs> um, if, if you were to recommend, and this is going to put you on the spot. If you were to recommend one book in each of those categories outside of yours, 
Um, but get yours list. Get his yes. listeners. Yes. <laughs> yes. We get 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 this book. Yeah. Um, if you were to recommend uh, a book in each one of those categories uh, for like an entry level introduction uh, to science, faith, and life, what book or books would you recommend? Oh wow! <laughs> you know I'm like a book nut. Right. Yes. So are we. I mean, I'm looking at my shelves here. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> you want pure science or like faith in science book? Yeah, Either one. Either one. Like pure science is fine. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to give my go-to book recommendation of all time, How God Changes Your Brain by Andrew Newberg. Ooh. That is a science book and a faith book. Nice. It's, he's a, Andrew is not a Christian. He will be on season three of the Liturgist podcast. We have recorded nice. that interview. Excellent. Um, which I was like nervous talking to Andrew. <laughs> uh, like my hands were shaking nervous. But anyway, so that's an amazing, amazing book. Um, and it's also, it's fun because you don't, you don't just learn about God and the brain. You just learn about the brain. It's a really good kind of intro neuroscience book. Um, Science is so broad. Yeah. Um, Pale Blue Dot by Carl Sagan. Mm, that's on my wish list. <laughs> Brief History of Time, Stephen Hawking. The Fabric of the Cosmos, Brian Green. I can't just do one there. <laughs> that's, that's all right. That's, that's fine. fine. Um, <laughs> faith, geez. Um, the Bible Tells Me So by Pete Enns. That's a fantastic yeah. book. What We Talk About When We Talk About God oh, by Rob yes. Bell. So good. Um, Searching for Sunday, Rachel Held Evans. Ooh, I haven't nice. read that one yet. It's on my list. Um, uh, there's one more. I'm trying to think of the title. I'm actually looking on my Kindle right now. <laughs> to forgive the... Oh, oh, yeah. The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cole. Oh, nice. I've heard of that, yes. Uh, okay. That's a great faith book. Life. What life books do I read? Uh, one I enjoyed really recently is called How to Not Be Wrong, The Power of Mathematical Thinking. Nice. Oh, wow. That's a really good life book. The Body Keeps the Score is really good. Uh, the Happiness Hypothesis is really good. Um, so you asked for three. I gave you 12. <laughs> I appreciate it. We That's appreciate awesome. the more. I, 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 yeah. I got to say that I, you didn't say the Bible. So, I love the Bible. Know. I get four stars on Amazon. It's be honest. It's great. Be honest. That's your science textbook. Isn't it? <laughs> this is all. This is all a sham. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, and I do love the Bible. Yes, yes. Uh, we, we. But we the Bible right doesn't count as a book. Right. Yes. Sure. It's Agreed. a library. Yeah. A library. Yeah. Um, Thank then, you, Rob Bell and Pete Ins for teaching us. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one last question, and this is totally off the wall. Um, oh, oh, I gotta give you two more. And this oh, okay. is kind okay. of cheating. Okay, let's go for it. Um, it's because they're not out yet, but the Divine Dance by Richard oh, Rohr cannot, and Mike Morell is incredible. Uh, um, and uh, and I just finished uh, the Day the Revolution Began by N.T. Wright. Oh gosh, also one of our heroes. So. Yeah. It, those are both phenomenal. Excellent. That's awesome. Final question, uh, and it's totally off the wall, and I apologize. But, uh, what do you think about ghosts? <laughs> Real or fake? Um, 
Ghosts are at least <laughs> projections of the neurological image that people hold of their loved ones, as well as the contextual expression of historic memory often attached to buildings. Even if this is all ghosts are, ghosts are still really fun to talk about. That is the best answer ever. That's so good. I was just, honestly, I was totally just expecting not enough data, insufficient data. That was exactly what That I was would be my go-to, but then the Axiom inspiration struck. So, so good. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Um, we can't can't uh, say enough about how great we we love the book. Oh um, man, um, we we just enjoy it. We all had to so. blow through it in about two days to get it done. So yeah, we're looking, looking forward to my copy. Seriously, we had it a, less than a week, and all three of us were able to, yeah. to finish it. It was wow, that's was, incredible. So I'm looking forward to actually going through and actually yeah. ingesting some. Yeah, some I want to go through so. a little slower next time and pick yeah. through even more of it. It was it just so good. We, well, thanks for the heroic effort. That really means a lot. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. All right, you guys have a great day. Thanks, Thanks you Mike. too. Yeah, so that was the Science Mike interview. Yes. Yeah, how about that uh, ghost axiom? <laughs> it's ridiculous, man. He literally just came up with it on the floor. And, and it was gorgeous. Like, oh, so totally dead on the money. Yes, it's, it was, yeah. So if you want to hear more axioms about ghosts, <laughs> you have to come here for the exclusive. <laughs> Not anymore. Just, just if you want to hear that one, you yeah. can tell your friends. Yeah. Tweet uh, ghost axiom. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, so uh, this next section is what we call feedback. Um, uh, we go over our five star reviews. Matt, are you are you? I'm you ready. Got it hot and ready. We have all five star reviews. Hot in the kitchen. By remix to ignition. What? What? That's uh, um, R. Kelly. You're welcome. <laughs> And, and Usher. You know, I'm, and Usher, you, I believe. You've made, I mean, maybe, and maybe just Usher. You've made a lot of, like, just. I can't kidding. believe you wait, 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 wait. R. Kelly. You made a lot of Usher, weird references. Usher. Did not expect R. Kelly coming from you. Or Usher, um, really. Have you seen Trapped in a Closet? Have we no. talked about Trapped in a Closet? Do we need to? Holy moly. <laughs> I want to I say shit, but Science Mike was on the podcast. You just did. Holy shit. you got to watch. you got to watch Trapped in the Closet. No, see, you say that. No, see, you say that, but you have to. It's R. Kelly, and he's trapped in a closet, and there. It's just a wonderful world of uh, small people and um, <laughs> romance, espionage. Um, yeah, trapped in a closet. Look it up. Bro. This is the video where he got in trouble for like. No, this is not the video right? where he had underage. <laughs> underage sex. Right, just curious. Yeah, no, don't look up that video. <laughs> Look I feel like I shouldn't be supporting them. anything R. Kelly. Yeah, I, I'm kind of right. in the same boat. I'm going to go ahead and take a pass on that. Um, I want to know if R. Kelly really did sing uh, "Remix to Ignition." Can I read this? Can I read this while you're doing? Yeah. That? Okay. Uh, we got a five star review. It is from... R. Kelly. R. Kelly remix to <laughs> oh Ignition. Oh gosh. Cool. Thanks. It uh, is the lead sing- single from his sixth studio album, <laughs> "Chocolate Factory," in 2003. Chocolate Factory. That's terrible. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> this is this is our five star review. <laughs> And our last one ever. Um, oh. So this is by Callie Adams, who is a new member of the pub, actually. Yeah, I like Callie. We like Callie. Thank you, we got, Callie. We talked on Twitter. And hey, it Callie. Was, it was wonderful. Uh, it's entitled A Guy's Locker Room, which fairly appropriate, actually. <laughs> uh, Much less nudity. Uh, if, yeah. That's the if, new name of the podcast, Guy's Locker Room. <laughs> 
<laughs> if you ever wanted to know what guys are thinking about, here it is. In an hour-long podcast every week, even Christian guys, even pastors. Yeah. So, so. we talk about testicles and science. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so like, we, we've uh, opened the, the veil. <laughs> this is what it is. Oh, <laughs> well, I feel like our hashtag game is over oh, for the evening. Uh, a switchfoot put it best. This is this is your life. Are you who you want to be? This is our podcast. We are who we want to be. Yeah, we've kind of established that at this point. Oh wow. Yeah. So thank you, Callie, for that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, uh, Callie also said uh, on on uh, Twitter, uh, she said, I've been binge listening to At Pastors Podcast and the uh, At The Liturgists. Also listened to the new uh, Michael Gunger album today. So, thank you, boring job, she said. So, <laughs> glad we could fill your boredom with yep. I'm glad we're just a little bit less boring than your boring job. Yes. <clears throat> glad we could... <clears throat> We could uh, uh, be there for you yeah. when, when you really needed us. <laughs> um, uh, Felicia Baston Nunn wrote on our Facebook page. Not often do we get Facebook comments, she said. Uh, hashtag uh, not endangered became Duggars. <laughs> it's, it's a reference to our. It's yes. A, it's a alternative pastor yeah. hashtag. Um, we get a lot of praise for our episode with Nick and Andrea. Yeah, so that was a good episode. It was a it was a very good episode. Yeah, and I wasn't there. But yeah, it was really. Good. That's why it's the best episode. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> you go ahead and tee that one up for you. Swing for the fences. Um, this just to say that I can I can be I can I can be in on the joke. I'm gonna read this next one. I almost didn't put it on there. Um, it's uh, Nathan Miller at Namway Design, um, who uh, also made our logo. By the way, yeah. in case people mm-hmm. forgot. Yep. Um, he said. Michael has a hashtag good four and a half inches. <laughs> hashtag not endangered, just vulnerable. So, oh, that. boy. Um, wow. really, but, really glad you read that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can take it. <laughs> no. Nope. Nope. Keep nope. going. All right. Keep my wife. Um, speaking of my wife, um, <laughs> she hit Matt up on Twitter. She said, uh, <laughs> at Polly named Matt. I can't. You, uh, <laughs> you finally had a small taste of what I experience on a daily basis. Hashtag screw big, bother, big brother. Hashtag you're not alone. <laughs> yeah, no. we're, we're glad that you suffer yeah. with us and much more. You take the suffering of the world upon your own yes. shoulders yes. every day. Um, Malcolm Nygaard. Uh, said, I love what your show is about, but your sound quality was a serious barrier to entry. Uh, I'll check back in down the road. Thanks, Malcolm. You do that. <laughs> Thank you. Or just give to the pastors <laughs> so we can get new sound equipment. Yeah. We are not far yeah. from our goal there. So. Uh, Joshua Casey at the JM Casey um, said, Only a few minutes in, and Michael's troll level is at Radio DJ Fart Effects. <laughs> <laughs> that might be our best comment yes. ever. Um, and then Matt Seymour yes. said, uh, made it to the end of the longest podcast ever. Hashtag balls talk. <laughs> so, yeah, that's yeah, that's feedback. Um, right. <clears throat> now we're going to go into closing time. Do you know who you want to take you home? Yeah. Um, read us on sure iTunes. <laughs> uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. 
Give us a review on iTunes also. Say some nice words. We'll read them on the podcast. So if you ever want to hear things that you wrote, written, or spoken by Matthew Polly, now's the time. You can get him to say almost anything. Almost. Almost. Except, Except Spice Girl lyrics. Spice Girl lyrics. Can we get to hashtags? I've got some We're almost there. Support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Pastors Podcast. And now this is the point in the week where we do talk about hashtags. So if you made it all the way to the end of this uh, podcast, show us that you're still listening and that you're still alive because we care about you um, <laughs> by sending us this hashtag. Um, so we're going to talk about which ones we've got. What do you What do you got, Brad? All right, I've got hashtag get a helmet. Okay. I got that one. Hashtag WWBD. Yeah, I got that one. Uh, hashtag mainly moist. <laughs> okay. Hashtag skipper and two sailors. Okay. <laughs> hashtag testicle segment. <laughs> I'll make it better. Here's the thing. I think Science Mike might actually be tagged in this comment, too. Yeah. So we need to be aware that Science Mike probably doesn't uh, want testicle Hashtag ghost, ghost axiom. Yes. Uh, yeah. Hashtag R. Kelly and Michael's closet. Yeah. <laughs> that was my personal yes. favorite. And then hashtag testicles and science. I've got uh, I've got hashtag classing up the joint. Uh, hashtag Michael is moist. Yeah. Hashtag moist hotel room. Hashtag we don't transition ever. I had hashtag hashtag ghost axiom. Uh, hashtag wonderful world of small people. Uh, also hashtag. <laughs> Did I say that? Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag radio DJ fart effects. Okay. Um, I have uh, hashtag. Beer dropping to the floor, <laughs> and hashtag Netflix and moist. <laughs> I see. So, just, despite all those good ones, you probably should go with Ghost Axiom. Okay, because so it, it relates back to the mic. Really so like R. Kelly. And yeah, it, I'm not gonna. <laughs> so, so, I'm using that one. You guys can screw <laughs> off. So, um, uh, my my personal favorite is Netflix and moist. So. If you, if you if you read that Anything one, send it to the me. The word moist is so it's gross. Matt's favorite it's just word. Gross. Oh. All right, so if you are listening to us, you made it all the way to the end. Uh, tag us, tag uh, Mike Science Mike at Mike McArg. The spelling is on the podcast. M C H A R G U E. Yeah, tag him in it as well, um, and to hashtag Ghost Axiom. It's uh, good stuff, man. There it is. So, with that, um, is now is the time where we close each segment. Oh yeah, we forgot to tell. So, Ghost Axiom Twitter at Pastors Podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at Polly named Brad. At Polly named Matt. At MJ Basinger. Don't worry about that one. Do at Mike <laughs> stop, McCart. So stop announcing it. I know it's on my list. <laughs> at Mike McCart. 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 At Passwords Podcast. <clears throat> at Passwords Podcast and at. Okay. Yeah. We want Science Mike to know yeah, oh, yeah. we're talking about the ghost axiom. Yeah, yeah, sure. On the dark net. Yeah. Um, anyway, so now it's uh, one of our favorite, <clears throat> and it seems so inappropriate for Mike. It is. Science Mike Completely. to be on our podcast. I think he'd be on board. <laughs> so I, he has a sense of humor. Come on. Science Michael, I apologize. <laughs> Science Michael. I really apologize for what's about to happen, <clears throat> but this is a segment we call... Um, well, it's an advice column segment. Where it's it's called just the tip of the week. So, yeah. And this is just the tip of the week. So, uh, here, any final words? No, no, we're right. good. Just tip of the week. Yeah. 
Hey guys, Brad here. So I just want you to know, so don't debate a player straight. You know he really doesn't get it anyway. I'm gonna play the field and keep it real. For you, no way. For you, no way. <laughs> so if you don't rate, just overcompensate. At least you'll know you can always go on Ricky Lake. Because you see the world needs one of these. So, hey, hey, do that brand new thing. I am.